Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Darius. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we'll be taking a look at the deep cuts and forgotten tales of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Uh, Matt, uh, what story are we going to be reading today? Today, we are reading The Coming of the Goblin Construct. Yeah, this one doesn't have, like, a sexy title, does it? No, but it is covered in The Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, number 18 of April 2000. And, in the fashion of that day, Peter Parker, Spider-Man 18 of Volume 2, in April of 2000. Uh, Both issues were written by Howard Mackey, but pencils for Amazing were John Bryan with inks by John Romita Sr. What a flash from the past, even for that day. And uh, colors by Joe Rosas. Whereas Peter Parker had pencils by Graham Nolan, inks by the legendary spider inker Scott Hanna, and colors by Gregory Wright. Now, you may be wondering, where can I pick up these web of quality tales? Well... Amazing Spider-Man number 18 is available online where you would expect in the Marvel app and on Comixology. And of course, the story is collected in the trade Spider-Man, the next chapter, a la the miniseries that preceded this relaunch. This is in volume three of that run. And the individual issues are going for about their sticker price, give or take how many dings there are on the cover. Right, yeah, I just want to point out that, like, Peter Parker Spider-Man is only available on Comixology, but you can find both Amazing 18, or you can find Amazing 18 on both. We've uh, we've plucked this story kind of out of a weird part of Spider-Man history. Uh, this is a two-parter that wraps up some threads that were left dangling from Spider-Hunt, which was a 1998 story that our loyal listeners might remember preceding the Cosmic Carnage story we covered with Mark Giannacchio a few episodes back. That is, preceded in chronology, not preceded in our coverage, because it'll be a cold day in hell before (laughs) we go back to that era, you know, right before the Slingers. Oh, we're going back. (laughs) (laughs) Slingers month is happening. Get out your winter coats. (laughs) All right. So this story does a good enough job kind of like filling back in and reminding you what was going on that was important enough in the, in that particular story. The relevant pieces of information are here. Um, this would have been about two years after Spider Hunt. So in modern times, it, let's see, what was what was even going on in Amazing Spider-Man in 2016? 2016. Yeah, that'd be two years ago. Oh, uh, Dan Just Slott for- was writing, and about two years ago, we were dealing with him being super rich. Okay, yeah, so this would be, like, if right now uh, Spencer did, like, a two-part story about how Peter Parker met that one chick he was dating for the first issue from the Shanghai branch of Parker Industries. some archaic thread from Superior for no reason whatsoever. It would be like if he did that. Yeah, like, it'd be... (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did. I see what you did. We agreed we wouldn't be taking more shots. I agreed to nothing. All right. Well, (laughs) anyway, let's let's get on to the story, because 
it's there's a lot going on here um you know for for people who might not be certified spider historians like myself and and my esteemed co-host matthew derrigish <laughs> name dropping <laughs> this was a rather tumultuous time in, in spider-man both as uh both in character and as a publication um this is about five or six months after chapter one concluded where they attempted to revamp and uh, retcon the Spider-Man origin to disastrous results. Um, And at this point, the fan reaction had already kind of bucked against it. Right. And so this story and the stories around here are Howard Mackey and Marvel's attempts to find a new foothold with the readers and and reading it you can kind of tell that they are throwing everything at the wall to see what will stick because almost every page seems to be have another wrinkle introduced another plot element dangled in front of us um what's telling too is this is only two issues though in the day where you get 32 pages in the comic generally and this felt like it had almost as much story going on as the last Goblin story we covered. That was five more classic issues. This thing is packed to the gills with moments and personal problems and action. And it's just one thing after another. You're right. And it, it makes the pacing feel a little breakneck, but you're also getting a beat every page. So yeah, it, it's a far cry from the uh, post-Bendis Marvel writing. Yeah, it's it's definitely pulls you through the the whole way. Like there there is you never stop to smell the roses in this story, uh, which is probably for the best, honestly, because I don't think we've ever seen a more like depressed and defeated Peter Parker. Like right. there are is, no roses. Yeah, like this is. This is, like, at times difficult to read to see, like, how far a beloved hero has fallen. Not morally, but just, like, he's he's hit rock bottom, which I believe is, like, one of the first words of um, the Peter Parker story was, like, I've hit rock bottom. Um, yeah, I well, it, so this story starts with Peter Parker washing dishes in the kitchen, which is now his job, and they're saying... You can have the leftovers, Parker, and you're staring at a bunch of plates of half-eaten food. And you're just like, oh, <laughs> great. You know, even even him in the circumstances says he'll pass, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's looking pretty grim right from the onset. Right, and then we almost like immediately get reintroduced to this plot thread from a few issues back where Mary Jane perhaps died in a plane explosion yeah. and and peter is holding on to some notion and you know ultimately the correct one that she was not on that plane or that and that she survived but everyone else has carried on that like she has died she is gone and everyone is in mourning right uh, and and treating peter that like it's possible that he has like gone off the rocker because he won't accept that she's died. So like people are kind of treating him with the kid gloves. People are treating him at arm's length. Uh, Flash Thompson comes in at one point and kind of reverts almost back to his high school bully uh, phase and says some harsh words. But we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here well, talking about that. I, I think this story we can't approach 
as chronologically as we have others. Like this, like we said, there's so much going on. So I think if we focus on the different elements, it will come together and be a little mm-hmm. more cohesive to talk about. So yeah, this this fact that MJ is in limbo, I don't know, it's supposedly past. Schrodinger's MJ. Yeah. Uh, echoes throughout the entire story because Peter's holding on to this hope, but it's this desperation that he's really living by and he's doing his normal Spider-Man thing. But when he's returning to Peter Parker, it almost makes it feel like Spider-Man, despite the circumstances of being Spider-Man right now, are still an escape. Mm -hmm. Uh... And we should talk about the villain of our piece the the reason we're here the the big <laughs> gg himself ggez this is green goblin the fifth um <laughs> yeah no fourth no fifth fifth, fifth it's either fourth or fifth depending on how you look at it so you got you have got norman then you got then you have harry then you got our old friend barry um is is barry short for barton whatever um then you got phil Eric, and then you got this guy and then you got our our sixth who's going to be in thunderbolts so yeah yeah this is this is the fifth one um if you want to count phil because he was hey you have to count phil he had his own book called green goblin you gotta count him um, but we're not talking about well we're not talking about that now we'll talk about that later oh, okay. um <laughs> um but yeah our guy this time is Maybe a bit of a cheat on the not Norman goblin block. <laughs> well, it, it's a little bit difficult to determine what he was because the story kind of retcons in the like his his origin. So essentially, going back to Spider Hunt, uh, one of the plot threads was that Norman Osborn was putting forth a legitimate businessman image. And in doing so, he created some sort of goblin construct, some sort of like flesh golem, called it called a flesh golem, called a clone, um, called a biomass. Maybe it was the green slime from that spectacular issue we covered. Who knows what exactly it was, but it was some sort of clone that right. had Harry Osborne's appearance but it also dis- like displayed some sort of like shape-shifting powers and then it melted in a horrific fashion so basically it didn't have an identity and that was where a lot of the angst came from uh in this issue was that this goblin construct which we didn't know that this is what it was trying to do until the last page or like the second to last page or whatever was hunting down Liz Allen trying to get some of Norman Osborn's personal effects, partially, I think, to emulate Norman, partially to find um, a formula that would stabilize it, uh, which is a beat that I guess we would eventually see in the clone conspiracy where these clones would destabilize rapidly without being introduced to some sort of um, formula. But again, we're back to the clone conspiracy. We cannot escape it on the show. I mean, it just, it keeps happening. We, we try to get away from it and another copy of it shows up. Um, but uh, yeah. So, so you've got in this story, you've got, Peter hitting rock bottom and then on top of on top of being homeless and the top of you know being oh. offered table scraps what, what we didn't really talk about that Peter at one point leaves Aunt May's house not knowing where he's going to sleep and just sleeps on the street right well 
he has a warm bed there. He has everything. But because because everyone is currently in mourning of Mary Jane, including um, Anna Watson, um, he said he can't really be there. He can't be around that those those feelings because I, I think I feel like that would mean that he would have to face them himself, and that wasn't really explicitly stated in this, but I don't think it really had to, right? Uh, or didn't really have to be. So he ends up just sleeping on the street, um, which. Which like, leads, like, again, again yeah. it's just like an extremely difficult place to see like your like your hero like you know to see this this is where spider-man has has gotten this is where you know this is the action that was his reward this is the culmination of all the good he's done has led him to being homeless and on the streets right and to add to everything he's at that point and he's homeless on the streets he wakes up and he has a bag that has all his spider gear in it and it gets jacked by this kid. And he doesn't know, nor does I think he ever encounter this kid again. Or really ever. Mm-hmm. And this kid sells off all the spider stuff to some Maleficent benefactor that plays in later into this classic run. But... <laughs> uh, it's Jameson. Oh! <laughs> I'm just gonna give away the goat. Um, yeah. I, yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, getting kicked while he's down in more ways than one, and it just keeps reverberating. And and I just, you're right, it is a little hard to read, but it was also this big plot point that they're pulling up to add to the drama. And that's something that I've found with a lot of Spider-Man stories, is there's that tug between people saying that you can't have a happy Peter Parker. But I'm more in line with what you were saying earlier, you know, Spider-Man's been spider-man for years no matter how you approach the rubber band theory of time in the marvel universe and to say that he hasn't earned some degree of happiness for all that he's put in is a little hard to take and when you keep punching him down it feels like well why wouldn't he maybe stop and focus on himself or lash out or something you know right it's a bit much yeah i mean we've seen him lash out before for far like slider slights like I mean, it doesn't get it doesn't get much worse than you know being offered table scraps out of pity and sleeping on the streets. Um, you know, as far as like a person's self esteem and dignity are concerned, um, and yet he seems to maintain his cool throughout this uh, this issue, or I'm sorry, throughout this story, um, which it's just you know I'm, it's it's hard it's hard to really balance out drama when the stakes are this extreme with something that's believable we have a beat here that's reminiscent of amazing spider-man of new which is randy and peter looking at becoming roommates yeah um this was like the whole randy subplot was something a little strange uh for me like it didn't it didn't like it didn't really pan out because so the way it's presented is that there's some sort of strife between Randy and his father, but they never quite get into that other than like Randy feels like he's not living up to his father father's expectations. Uh, but their argument never really comes to a head in this in this story. Uh, you know, that might happen in later issues, but we're not covering that. Um, but the luckiest break for Peter in this book is the fact that Robbie and Randy are both looking to Peter for various things, but none of them are putting their fight on him in any way. Right. It's it's a look. Yeah, it, it is a lucky break uh, for him and that 
they're like they're both extending something to him without really expecting anything in return like um randy like at one point peter mentions to randy like you know i don't really have a job right now right which is a little weird because like randy's whole point was that like i can't really pay rent on my own so yeah i'll bring up another guy on the rent who can't pay for it but whatever um i mean all all that really amounts is that uh we've we've solved this whole like peter parker doesn't have a place to live situation without him having to move back into the forest hills estate which from a metatextual point is kind of silly because very quickly uh the whole mary jane thing from here is resolved and they're shacked up again so right i I believe she comes back in amazing 30 um and by i believe i mean that that's when she comes back is amazing 30 yeah so i guess there's a hot minute but more interestingly to me is uh robbie and flash have a moment in this book mm-hmm. where they're a bit at each other which is a bit more understandable because flash is being as you said earlier a bit of a jock and a jerk again right like so he's he's kind of like he meets peter um at like coming off of a job application as a pe coach which as we know from the jms run uh fleshes out and that's that's uh flash's role for a while and and then like immediately like mentions oh some kid ran into me and spilled coffee all over myself so you know i almost like beat him up you know like how i used to beat up kids uh and like it's just like a really weird beat because he was trying to console peter like moments ago and then like he follows him to the bugle he's like oh yeah i gotta break up with betty brant and peter's thinking like yeah she's been trying to do that for months uh you know get out of my face and then like behind his back like flash all of a sudden starts like you know all like all these women around peter keep dying how awful is that man peter must be such bad luck like what are you doing and then and then he he gets called out it's just it's such a weird beat because like why is that there like why why do they have to keep kicking peter parker in this story like it's it's not even kicking at this point they're just like grinding their like grinding like their boot in his face like right yeah there's a lot of weird moments with the uh the peter side of things in this book but i think we've summed up most of it but the, the connection between that and our larger goblin story here is liz all right, but before we talk about Liz, before we move on, I, I, I understand that we've, for a story about the Green Goblin, we've spent a long, like, a, a large portion not talking about the Green Goblin, but we really need to talk about Aunt May's bowl cut. Oh, well, this is Be- the fashion watch section of the Well, okay, pops. so this is, this is the issue that J.R. Sr. inked. And you can definitely see that, especially with some of the wide shots uh, where they pull out and you do kind of like the minor the minor details. It's super reminiscent of J.R. Sr., which, I mean, those shots, that's where the anchor really has their, their hands on the art. Um, but anyway, and J.R. Sr. always draws people really, you know, they're pretty. They're good looking. He his his background his his start was in romance uh, comics, and that's continued on through his entire career. But Aunt May's hair is so bad; it looks like a mop, like one of those one of those mops that like have like the built in squeegee like action where like and so so you've got like the bowl, and then and then up at the top it's got like this like miniature beehive, and I mean. 
it's probably the worst hair I've ever seen in this comic, which is impressive because this has given us not one, but two men with Tootsie Roll hair. I mean, it's it's inconceivable. Um, it, it's like a train wreck. It's it's you, you look at it, and, but you can't look away. Well, you see, at that point, Aunt May was grieving for Mary Jane. She didn't want to one-up the looks of Mary Jane at her own funeral, so she threw on this cut. But by the very next issue... Uh, we see a couple people at the door for May Parker, and uh, her hair's uh, back to normal. <laughs> it's an interesting choice, and I don't want to belabor the point, but uh, it's just when I see a hamburger eating scene in a comic, I've got to point it out. And this is the hamburger eating scene of this comic, where it just takes you completely out because you're just floored by this artistic decision. <laughs> Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll have Mackie come on in the comments and tell us that he wanted to show Aunt May with this gorgeous set of locks, but uh, the editors told him that it was just a little too uh, spicy for our dear sweet Aunt May. <laughs> I mean, right. she, she did leave a note in... Uh, in the last the last story that uh reminding anna watson to grab her rubbers because it was a, a downpour <laughs> it's raining men <laughs> hallelujah anyway anyway let's get on with the story um Where yeah liz liz allen <laughs> now that i've had gotten that out of my system liz allen here um really not doing much in this story she keeps getting attacked in a motorcade um Am I incorrect? Like, am I, am I... No, you're spot on. Yeah, like... She's the catalyst and she keeps getting attacked and uh, Peter keeps defending her. Though, by the end of this story, keep in mind, his suit was stolen. So, to keep his secret identity safe, he grabs a paint rag. A tarp. And a, a, a tarp for those down south. And a bit of rope. And he has this makeshift costume that's... A touch uncomfortable, yeah, I it's might no, say. It's no, it's no amazing bag man. No, it, it, in fact, it, it, it's a bit more of a white hood with some rope. Yeah, it. I also noted that, um, as you pointed out, as someone from the South, I am uh, sensitive oh. <laughs> to yeah. um, to anyone, anyone approaching, you know, uh, a hate monger esque costume. Um, right. <laughs> For those who don't know, Hatemonger is uh, Hitler by another name in the Marvel Universe. Yep, and he wears a Klansman costume because who who needs subtlety? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, the costume choice is a little weird. It is a little reminiscent of, you know, the, the KKK, not not necessarily, like, it's missing the pointy hat, but, like, it's it's just, it's... Like the the colors are beige, but there's there's just something about it, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was. But I was like, that looks a tad uncomfortable. So I'm glad you picked it up. You picked up on it too, uh, and I didn't have to mention it because I, you know, I, I'm I I am the one with those like hashtag, you know, snowflake liberal tendencies. So I didn't want to be the one to to point that out. Um, I mean, clearly that's not the intent here. And right. Maybe this wouldn't have read that way in the great year of 2000 the start of the millennium <laughs> right <laughs> what a throwback <laughs> uh but yeah no it, it's it's a weird look and, and it's coupled by this moment that we're talking about with this construct makeshift shape shifting clone thing falling apart so 
all of the art for the back end of this story is weird. Weird to take in. It, it throws you off. Definitely. But let's let's focus a little bit more on what is essentially the A-plot of this, which is the, the goblin construct. So essentially, the goblin construct comes out of nowhere. He just appears one day and starts attacking Liz Allen. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, because he wants to get some sort of effects from Norman, uh, either either to better understand like him as a father figure or to collect the formula that will help stabilize his form. It's it's a little bit of both. And he doesn't make this known though. He he's mostly just tormenting Liz Allen, who in in part is having narrations and thoughts to herself about how her entire life has been haunted by goblins and the Osborne family. And, and she's having regrets and like, and then she's looking around at her lavish, uh, lavish life, you know, traveling in motorcades. She lives in a luxury apartment and yet she's miserable. And I think we're supposed to make that connection with Peter Parker and that like, we have like, you know, someone's rich and they're miserable. Someone's poor and they're miserable, um, which you know, is all fine and dandy, but at the end of the day, I'd rather be rich and miserable than poor and miserable because at least when I'm rich and miserable, I'm not sleeping in a doorway. Um, and so the the construct doesn't... It doesn't really drive the story like it should for the A-plot. Uh, you know, its appearances are random, and whenever a beat is done from the B-plot... So it, it's not a super compelling story uh, as far as that narrative goes. Um, but there is some excitement in the mystery of who this guy is. I mean, at this point, we're at the tail end of the clone saga. So the idea that Harry might have been might have be, be coming back from the dead is a possibility. Norman might have recovered from his um, goblins at the gate or gathering a five whichever one it was that had him go insane um we never really entertained the idea that it's someone else though and well we never entertained that like in the in in the internal narration but we do start to see signs of that where peter noticed like this guy doesn't fight like the osbournes he doesn't stand like the osbournes he doesn't have the same kind of command and presence that norman osborne has and so we start to get little needles of like, who is this guy? But the story moves at such a breakneck pace that we never actually get to dive into that mystery and explore it and have fun with it. It's, it's over before it really begins. Would you agree with that? It is. And what's kind of funny too, is you have a Spider-Man equivalent of Clayface here, which is a classic out for maybe some convoluted storyline or maybe some pl drop plot beat. Beyond the spider hunt where some person was dressed up as the Green Goblin to, you know, put Green Goblin and Norman Osborn in the same room so you wouldn't connect the two. But it felt like there could have been more done here to maybe uh, clean up a, a thing or two. And it's not used that way, which is probably for the best, but it's also not really used 
within this story either for much of anything except to be a moment of an antagonist but it would be almost more compelling if it was one of the osborns going after lazon which we've seen before and we will see again and i think those stories seem stronger for moving the story forward whereas this just feels like a dead end when we get here as the character just kind of essentially we find out who the character is and they spontaneously combust within pages of each other Right. I mean, not to be super cynical or whatever, but the way this story reads is that they were trying to reestablish and rework the Peter Parker elements and then shoehorned in this little bit of like non non trivia from a few years prior um, to kind of insert some punching into the story. Because without this, we just have an incredibly depressing look at Peter Parker's life. But what a crazy aside villain. Oh, yeah. Like, this is this is some next-level comic book villain. I mean, it, it's not just a clone. It's a shape-changing clone. Like, okay. Yeah, shape-changing clone with, like, identity issues. And, like, it's, yeah, it's it's definitely definitely crazy but but then before before we can really like you said before we can do anything fun with that he literally dissolves on the page and not in like ooh, i turned into sand like you know the clones does the dude literally melts on the page like his ear falls off his like jaw slackens like you see his teeth his eyeball rolling down his face like it is gruesome for a spider-man story this is not something i was expecting to ever see in the pages of amazing spider-man or or technically i guess peter parker colon spider-man it's that colon that gets you every time um i think they make a pill for that (laughs) Uh, yeah and i mean i think that sums up the end of the story pretty well did you have any other notes not not really like i just i hope this wasn't too difficult to follow for for people listening who might not have read this but that it kind of represents just how scattered this story was it was not told in a laser focused fashion um and compared like, to other things we've done this felt more like a jigsaw to try to talk about than many of the other stories right well, well even reading it i was having difficulty keeping up with all of the all of the moving parts and all of the threads that were being introduced um so that, that that's really what I, I wanted to make sure uh that was put across was that like this this story is is not as neat and orderly as maybe we we'd normally see in a lot of different spider-man comics in comics in general i i, th- I think they're like it, it, it definitely failed failed there um but yeah yeah i think that's enough for the story um what do you what, what were your thoughts? Do you have any final notes? I, I mean, this would transition right into does it feel like a Spider-Man story to me? And I, I think this is an important note. Like, this story is very much in this time coming right out of chapter one, what, where they're trying to find the footing for Spider-Man again. And there's some misstepping, but the stuff's there, the formula's there, but they just can't figure out how to quite make it work uh, to to the way that we normally expect a Spider-Man story to be. And this is kind of a forgotten era. I think this volume two chunk uh, really is mostly a something that's been left behind. I would definitely say that like pretty from, from the end of the clone saga, or at least, at least till like from chapter one to where JMS gets on. Yeah. Completely forgotten. Passed by. Um, 
Wait, would you agree with that? Like most most people have moved on from that right but the reasons that this feels like a spider-man story in so many ways is because it's doing a few new things but it's really finding creative new ways with like a new hook to recycle a number of plot elements of spider-man's past okay well i i think i think that that kind of moves into my my thoughts on on whether or not there should be untold or reissued and like i mean Ultimately, this this doesn't feel like a Spider-Man story to me because it's like they pull Peter down too far. Like the, it, you know, this the the everyday aspects of Spider-Man, the average the average man, the Willie Loman aspect is supposed to be like this guy has everyday problems. This guy struggles, but through his own perseverance, he overcomes. I mean, the, these are extreme lows that he's brought to, and I just they don't feel like spider-man like it doesn't feel like an everyman story anymore it feels it feels too extreme and it's in in the way it's going so no it doesn't really feel like a spider-man story and to that effect i would say it should be untold just because it 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 throws in it's it's too much it's just too much yeah it goes past the point of relatability to the point where it loses the heart of why you connect with the character at all and yeah it just isn't there also, from a more plot and mythos standpoint, I think you can more or less glaze over this story, and the only real thing you'll miss is a throwback of Flash being a jerk for no reason, a moment why Robbie and Peter were roommates again, but ultimately doesn't really matter that much anyways, and who was the Green Goblin during Spider Hunt, which it turns out really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So, because Peter Parker's literally the only person who knows anyways. This right. information isn't really ever become a big deal to much of anything else. Okay, well, to that effect, I'm I'm assuming you're you're going with untold. Yeah, I'd say untold. Okay. Um. All right. Well, then let's 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 put it on the ranking. Um. I'm thinking. Okay, so we've been kind of hard on this, kind of going through it, but there were enjoyable aspects of it. Like 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 I said we start to tease kind of playing with the mystery where, where Peter notes that like this, this person doesn't have the same ambiance, I guess, if we can call it that as, um, as Norman Osborn. And so you, you do have interesting moments that kind of play into the character's histories. Uh, and it was a brisk read in that, like the story never left you frustrated with by by belaboring points um so i'm gonna i'm gonna call this like a mid-tier story what what would you call this i think mid-tier is fair yeah like this is this is maybe a touch under kind of where i'd consider like your average spider-man throwaway story like this might have been had a little a few more pain points but they were interesting ones and you can tell some of the stuff that they're reaching for so i think it's a bit more admirable in that respect okay Uh, where were you looking at bumping this up against uh i'm i was gonna put this somewhere in the neighborhood of web of eight and nine final adventure and spider-man century i was Um, looking somewhere around eight and nine in final adventure but i I didn't know how i felt about it Um, right i would definitely put this below final adventure or i'm sorry below eight and nine i don't think this was better than eight and nine so I, i would put that on top um really it's do i think this is better than final adventure or not yeah i in 
I probably could be persuaded the other way, but I think this is a hair above Final Adventure. If for no other reason than it kind of ends, and it's not a false ending to the story in that it plans on continuing. It's part of the serialization, and it's not supposed to be this weird thing that the Final Adventure was. I just feel like mm-hmm. the Final Adventure is set up to fail, and did. Well, well, I, I mean... <sighs> I guess with the final adventure, I mean, I was hotter on that story than you were. Yeah, uh, and I had to bump it down. That yeah, yeah, I was about to say so. Shift. So it, it's 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 forever going to be like the weird the weird one to argue against. Um, the reason I would put it below the final adventure is is because I felt like final adventure was able to tell a solid arc as far as like Peter Parker is concerned, not necessarily like the the super heroics might not have been as satisfying as they could have been but as far as like the the character arc goes this did not have a character arc this this actively pushed against having a character arc for the villain um you know it had the, the anti arc where he was searching for what his arc was and he died before he was able to find it um but they didn't do like it, it didn't feel like that was the intent it wasn't the like it wasn't some sort of like russian nihilistic story about like where you know um nothing has any meaning it was just that you know they killed off this character before they could do anything interesting with it and that's why i would put it below final adventure but above century because century was an incomplete story at the end of the day it was it was a one-parter in what was actually like the second half of a mini but it didn't function on its own on its own like the other ones in that um second half of the mini did all right sounds about right to me then that's fine okay cool all right uh all right then and while like talking about these web of stories or i'm sorry talking about the like web of rankings I, i i guess can sound a little tedious at times but what i like about it is that it allows us to revisit this the stories that we've already talked about and kind of like compare them and talk about their form a little bit more. Um, if you guys hate listening to us talk about this, just let us know. Like if it's, if it's, if it's something you like skip through or whatever, just, 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 just let us know and just give us some feedback. Um, but anyway, uh, speaking of feedback up next on our not Osborne green goblin block, we've got thunderbolts number one twenty eight and one twenty nine part of that dark rain status quo that was all the rage in what 2009 was that no like 2011 anyway the good old days yeah the good old days following that will be our alternatives origins block where we will tackle stories looking at different ways to tell a tale about a guy being bitten by a radioactive spider first up will be spider-man india and then after that we'll be looking at spider-man the manga number one through six and then we'll be closing out that block with what if number seven what if someone other than spider-man has been bitten by the radioactive spider uh you know not a mouthful in that title at all but this is these are some stories that we've been wanting to do since we started this where we really examine the origin of peter parker and what it means to be spider-man and how you can play with that origin and change change aspects of it and still have a character that's recognizable as spider-man 
Uh, maybe not so much with that what if, but it's a fun what if, and it fits our theme. <laughs> uh, so thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review for the show. If you've done that already, please consider sharing the show with someone who might enjoy it. Uh, all of these things help our show grow. And if you just can't get enough of us, please consider joining the Amazing Spider Talk Patreon because you'll be getting bonus episodes for the mere, mere price of $3.99 a month. I mean, what were you going to be doing with that $3.99 anyway? It's not like you're going to be buying comics with it. Uh, <laughs> but that that tier will get you access to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man B-Title Reviews, where Matt and I will be discussing the current B-Titles that Marvel is putting out, whichever ones they feel like putting out at this given point, because we're about to get an explosion of them between Venom tie-ins and Spider-Geddon and whatever else. It's just going to be, we're, we're going to be talking about B-Titles all the day long. Uh, on top of those B titles, you'll also be getting the Amazing Spider Talks, uh, Amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as access to the members-only section of our Slack channel, the Amazing Spider Slack. For those with an appreciative eye for the arts, we have a second tier, the Excelsior Club. $10 a month nabs you commissioned artwork twice a year from Spider-Man artists you know and love, in addition to the rewards from the previous tier. Right now, Spider-Man artist Alex Saviak is hard at work at the commission piece Dan had him write, uh, draw for you guys. Uh, if you join in on that Spider-Slack channel, uh, you can scroll up and check out the preview for that. It's looking pretty good. Um, we'd also like to extend a special thanks to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song. If you guys want to listen to more from the Ellie Badge, please check out the show notes for links to that. Uh, Matt, where can we find you on the internet today? Or this week? You can find me at MagicalMatt42 on the tweeters and Kane. Where can people discover your great thoughts and insights? Well, you can listen to or you can read all of my hot takes and that amazing spider slack at amazingspidertalk.slack.com, I believe. There are also links on the webpage, on the Superior Spider Talk webpage. You can find me on Twitter at KaneWrites. You can also follow the show at Untold Talks SPMN on Twitter, Untold Talks of Spider-Man on Facebook, or email the show at untoldtalksofspiderman at gmail.com. And uh, until Matt and I get matching bowl cuts, make mine untold. This is the end of the world.